0: All right, so we're looking at, uh, at Ruth chapter 4. This is in our series, 20 chapters of redemptive history. Uh, redemptive history, what does that mean? That's God's plan to, to save a people from bondage, from darkness, from sin, from death, uh, to purchase them, to make them his own. Uh, that's you know, sort of what redemption means. And in the book of Ruth, you actually get the whole character of a kinsman redeemer, a redeemer, who's going to basically buy back the future for this poor woman named Naomi. Uh, And we're gonna pick up in chapter four, so I wanna give you a little bit of context. Her husband has died. Um, She is returning to Bethlehem from Moab and there is this whole episode where there is a redeemer um, who would help her and a man named Boaz is next in line. I know that's a lesson to help Ruth. Uh, Ruth is Naomi's daughter-in-law. So I know that's a lot of information if you're unfamiliar with the story, but that gives you a little bit of context and we'll fill in the blanks along the way. Let's stand in honor of God's word and, um, and we're gonna pick up in chapter four. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, and and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. And then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know for there is none besides you to redeem it and I come after you. And he said, the redeemer, I will redeem it. And then Boaz said, "Uh, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also require Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And then the Redeemer said, "Mm, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, join me down at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went in to her and the Lord gave her conception and so she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name nourish her of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon. Nishan fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us and instructing us about our need for redemption and for showing us, providing for us a redeemer. In his name we pray amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> All right, we're, we're going to look more at the beginning of this story, kind of go back to chapter one a little bit to talk about bitterness. And then we're going to talk about redemption, and we're going to wrap up with fullness. So bitterness, redemption, and fullness. Uh, so let's go back to, to chapter 1. I, I know a lot of you are familiar with the story of Ruth, um, but if, in case you're new to the Bible or new to the church, uh, it begins uh, with a man named Elimelech. We, we heard about him. Elimelech has, has died. He's, he's Naomi's former husband, deceased husband, so Naomi's a widow. And we met Elimelech uh, who's... Name is is significant. His name means God is King. So, it begins with that prefix Eli, a generic kind of form for the the name of God. It's to be true for God's people, that God is. Chapter one of the book of Ruth. If you've got your Bibles up, you can turn there. It sums up the time of, of this story with these words: "In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land." So. So there's a problem. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. This is the time when the judges rule. There's no king. There's a temporary uh, provisional you know, way of ruling God's people. Uh, a judge would be raised up and things would be okay for a little bit. But the book of Judges, if anything, teaches us that we're a cyclical people. We're habitual in our sins. And, and the people would, would rebel, they'd forget God, they'd do their own thing, and, and so there would need to be another judge to deliver God's people because they would come under, you know, some kind of oppressive rule or something would happen, something bad would happen, like a famine would happen. And that's what a lot of commentators and scholars assume is, is, is the clue here. In chapter 1, verse 1, the famine is because God's people are being disciplined in some way. They're, they're, they've rebelled against God. God's sending a famine to kind of do what he does consistently, which is try to get their attention. Hey, time to repent and, and come back to me. Uh, uh, so a so Elimelech means God is king. God's people should have a king, but they don't. Uh, instead, they've got these judges. They should have God as their king. Um, And so the family lives in uh, Elimelech and and Naomi's bread. The famine comes over the land. Bethlehem's not a house of bread anymore. And Elimelech develops a plan. It's not a good plan. He decides, let's go to Moab. Let's leave Bethlehem. Let's leave Canaan, the, the land that God had promised to us, and let's go back across the Jordan. Let's go east to Moab. Let's leave the land that God promised us and, and go somewhere else. Does, does that sound like a good plan? No, it's not. And, and if anything, things go from bad to worse for Elimelech. Get to Moab. They have two sons, Elimelech and Naomi, two sons, and when they get to Moab, uh, the two sons marry. They, they get married to Orpah and to Ruth, two Moabite women. God's people have been told, don't marry uh, non-Israelite israeli women or don't marry those that don't worship our God, you know, because they're going to lead you into false religions and it's not going to be good for you. So that was a concern. Elimelech and Naomi are letting their sons marry Women who weren't Hebrew, weren't worshiping the the, the God of of, uh, God's people. Then Elimelech dies. And then the sons die. This all happens in Moab, a place where God told them not to go. So now you've got Naomi, you've got Orpah, you've got Ruth, three widows. And Naomi's a foreigner in a foreign land, and she has nothing. She's got nothing to uh, to her name. And her plan now is, well, I I just have to go back to Bethlehem. There's nothing for me here in Moab. I'm gonna go back to Bethlehem. And she tells her daughters-in-law, just go home. You know, you don't need to be tied to an old woman like me. I've got nothing for you. Go back to your families. Orpah, you know, agrees. Naomi, or Ruth disagrees. And she says these famous words that I think many of us are probably familiar with, but in chapter one, verse six, uh, Ruth says to Naomi, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And here's the key. And your God, my God. Naomi makes a perfect... Now Ruth is following the profession of faith. And Naomi hears it. And, and so now Ruth is following Israel's God. And she goes with Naomi back to Bethlehem. So uh, Bethlehem gets word that here comes Naomi, who we haven't seen in over a decade. And who's this woman with her? And I'm going to read you the summary in chapter one, verse 19. Uh, the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? And Naomi said to them, do not call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me by my name anymore. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Bitter. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. What do you say to somebody who's just that cut and dry? The Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. You you can hear the anger, right? You can hear the bitterness, you know, in Hebrews chapter 2, it says, see to it that no one fall, uh, fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You, you can see that root of bitterness in Naomi is just in full bloom. Uh, it, it is um, Now, it's possible as these Women hear, uh, see Naomi come back and, and they hear her say, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me, call me Mara. I went away full and the Lord brought me back empty. Isn't it possible though? Like we, you want to kind of validate the pain in that moment, but isn't it possible that the Lord emptied her in Moab because he wanted to fill her back in Bethlehem? He, he had to get her home from Moab, from the place where, you know, God didn't want his people to the place where he had called them to go, the land of their inheritance, and, and now he wants to fill her? Isn't that, isn't that possible? Sometimes we get short-sighted, and we don't understand what's going on. We don't understand the pain. We don't understand the emptiness, and we grow bitter because we can't, we can't see the big picture, and Naomi couldn't see the big picture, and 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 it's something that we all have to, to be on guard against. Just Hebrews 12 is true. Let no root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. Well, what's the beginning of, of bitterness? Where does bitterness start? How do, you, how do you make sure there's no root there? Um, bitterness comes from emptiness. I mean, that's what Naomi's saying. I went away full and the Lord brought me back empty, and, and now I'm 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 bitter about that. Bitterness comes from emptiness. Bitterness comes from lack. Bitterness comes from, you know, looking around and going, I, I don't have what I should have. The Lord should be filling me, and he's not, and I don't believe he wants me to be full. Uh, like, and, and so we have to ask ourselves, where are we feeling empty? Uh, you've, you've read the articles. You've seen the, the blogs. You've seen, the, you know, the, the news feeds where people are talking about how lonely everyone is these days. And it's still this, you know, casualty from COVID. I mean, it was before COVID. We were a lonely culture. And now it's epidemic. Um, and, 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 we're, and we're trying to trying to kind of poke fun at it a little bit too. I don't know if you saw the SNL skit where the, you know, the woman comes home and, and her, her, her husband's at home and, and he's, he's so happy to see her because he hasn't had any interaction at all. I mean, the skit is, is talking about, you know, man, are you struggling to find friends? Women, have, are, is your... Is your uh, spouse or your, your boyfriend, is he just a lonely guy? Here's the solution. Take him to the man park. Take your man, like a dog park. Take your man to the man park. You know, the guy's home and, and the woman comes in and he's just you know, like all over her. I want to tell you about your day. Tell me about your day. And, and she's just like, whoa, buddy, you need a friend. Let's go. Let's go to the man park. Let's go to the, the, the dog park for guys. And they introduce, you know, to the guys and they all get around and they, and they bond. And there's some guys who are shy. Like, you know, if you've ever been to a dog park, there's always that dog. It was our dog, by the way. Doesn't want to play with the other dogs. And they have to, come on, go play with them. And the shy guy goes up to the other guys. and Marvel? Mar- Marvel? And the other two, other two guys, Marvel. And they, Marvel, 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 Marvel. And they're bonding over Marvel. And it's a guy, guy thing, anyway. And uh, they're talking about the goat. Tom Brady or Michael Jordan. You know, guy stuff. Ugh. Good guy stuff. We're lonely. We need help. We're, we're lacking in real relationships. And that's where bitterness comes from. If you look around and you think, I don't have any friends, and, you know, God, why aren't you providing friendships for me? Why aren't you providing, you know, a spouse for me? Or, or whatever the case may be. We get bitter about that. We think that somehow, you know, God hasn't filled us. And we look at the emptiness around us. We look at, you know, I don't have enough money. I don't have my health, I don't have a future, I don't have, you know, whatever the case may be. We keep consuming, trying to, to fill the emptiness, we, you know, with, with food or with drink or with shopping or whatever, and we're still never full. And that's where bitterness comes from. Imagining and, and giving in to the temptation that God does the source for a lot of the bitterness that we see around us and the bitterness that we're susceptible to as well. Bitterness makes us impatient. It makes us impatient with people who disagree with us. Instead of being humble, instead of being curious and learning and listening, we just write them off. It makes us judgmental and critical. Instead of you know, trying to offer help or trying to, to, to heed the correction, we just you know, silence them. And bitterness makes us do horrendous things to one another. We end up making people targets of our ridicule, uh, targets of our hate. Or, or you know, some people will make others targets of their bullets. This is inevitably what happens when we're empty when we don't have hope. When Jesus was resurrected, there's all kinds of accounts of his conversations with people you know, and, and proving to them that he was risen. One of them happened on the road to Emmaus, two disciples are walking along and they said something to him that was incredibly revealing. They were talking about Jesus, they didn't recognize as Jesus, they're talking about Jesus to Jesus. We had hoped, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, fight him. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem us. And they experienced the death of hope. And if you don't have hope, you're going to get bitter. If you don't have hope, there's no way you you can't give in to that, that kind of bitterness. So bitterness inevitably, the death of hope. And the problem is that if you misplace your hope, inevitably you have to be on guard because if that hope dies, then you're going to become bitter. You can put your hope in good things. You know, we, we hope in lots of circumstances that might turn out for our good. We can hope in the right political leader, or we can hope in the economy recovering, we can hope in getting a better job, we can hope in, you know, having healthier relationships. But if that's your ultimate hope, all of those things are terminal. And that means that if your hope has a shelf life, if it will die at some point, you're going to get bitter. That hope will not last you. And that's why we need an eternal hope, a hope that cannot die, in order to not become bitter, in order not to feel the emptiness that Naomi felt. Um, we, we've, we've looked at her emptiness. and want to look at the redemption that, that you know the book of Ruth talks about, and you see that In a few of these characters, we get little snippets. One is from Boaz, you know, and there's this whole, you know, interesting encounter with the gates of the city, and he's calling witnesses to make it really official, incontrovertible that he is redeeming this property that belonged to Elimelech, to Naomi's, you know, she's the heir but she's a woman, and in that age, you know, there, there had to be a male heir, a male redeemer who would come. And there's this anonymous figure. He's the redeemer. He can farm it or make some profit. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be a good deal for him. And then this, this guy, you know, Boaz, he's, he's masterful because we haven't met him yet, but he is the one who's going to redeem Naomi. He's going to marry Ruth. He's developed a relationship with her. He's got intentions to marry her. And he plays this guy, the Redeemer. And he waits until the end, a little asterisk. Um, By the way, if you're going to go through with this whole, you know, redemption thing, you need to know that this includes the woman, Ruth, the Moabite widow. And all of a sudden, this, this anonymous redeemer, he says, uh, change of plans, sorry, I don't want to take on that burden, a Moabite widow. She's undesirable, a liability. All, the, all the, the, the generic terms we use to, to hide and masquerade our, our own you know, selfishness and, and, and far worse things. So what's the difference between Boaz and the Redeemer? Do you remember we met Boaz a week ago? Last week we were talking about Joshua and Jericho and how the, the, the sort of the heroine of that story, uh, Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho, the Canaanite temple prostitute who converts, who recognizes what Israel's God is doing for Israel. And she puts her faith in him and she hides the Hebrew spies in her life and everybody who's connected to her is spared the destruction of Jericho. And then Salmon, one of the, the Hebrew soldiers, marries Rahab and they have a son. And you remember the son's name? It's Boaz. It's Boaz. What was life like for Boaz growing up with a Hebrew dad and a Canaanite ex-prostitute mom? Watching his mom and his dad love each other despite being different colors, despite being different nationalities, despite even speaking different languages at first but having the same God, the same Savior, the same Redeemer, and to see that love, to see the union that the gospel brings to a family. And simultaneously, to to witness that union, to witness that love, to witness that grace of the gospel, simultaneously, I am certain, as I know you are, witnessing other people's intolerance of that. Discriminating against his mom, racist comments, that Canaanite, judgmental comments, that ex-prostitute. Don't you, think he, don't you think he saw that firsthand and decided, probably as a young boy, I will never, never let that happen in my family. And he marries Ruth, a Moabite woman a widow, an undesirable. And he carries on that, that picture of grace and tenderness and, and beauty, you know, that he witnessed from his mom and his dad. And he's a picture of a redeemer coming in and, and saving the undesirable and, and blessing her. Obed's a picture of a redeemer. He's a baby, though. Um, look, look again at verse 14 and 15. You know, the women come to Naomi and they're saying, blessed is the Lord who hasn't left you without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. They're talking about a baby, <laughs> which is a little weird, but it's not so much. The, the Bible constantly points us forward, not just, from, not just to be so consumed with the present, but to think about the future and his promises. And in Isaiah 59, he says, and a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. And if we wonder how possibly, you know, Naomi holding this her grandson uh, in her lap, Obed, and and everybody's saying, he's gonna be a redeemer to you, a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age. Maybe Mary and Joseph had some similar questions as they held a baby boy in in her lap. One more picture of redemption, a redeemer, and and it's and it's Ruth, book of Boaz. It's not the book of redemption, of, of pursuit, of rescue, of of you know sacrifice. Right? She's left her country to come to a new land because she's concerned about Naomi. She's not going to let Naomi go back to Bethlehem by herself. She says, "I'm going to be with you. I'm for Naomi. Went into the fields to glean the harvest and expose herself to risk and to danger and so on for Naomi." She loved Naomi, even though Naomi had given in to bitterness and emptiness, and she was more to Naomi than seven sons, invaluable to her. Ultimately, Ruth had a son. Right? She she suffered labor pains. She went through that agony of of giving birth. There was blood and there was water. And so the Redeemer came through the suffering of her body. Does that ring a bell? So when we come to the end and we get to the the ending, there's this fullness, right? The story began by, by telling us it was the period of the judges and in those days there was There's no king. And and, and so Israel needs a king. Everybody's doing what is right in his or her own eyes. That's the refrain from Judges again and again and again, how bad things got because nobody was honoring the Lord and following him as king. It was a time of, of bitterness. It was a time of emptiness for Israel. And the story ends with hope that a king is coming who will redeem Israel. The story literally ends, the last word in the book of Ruth, look at verse 28. Chapter 4, what's the last word? It's David, the king. It begins with Elimelech. The Lord is king. It ends with David. There's a king. There's a king, and, and, and we need to remember that. We need to look for the king and in this period of judges, in this period of bitterness and emptiness. We need a king. We need fullness. And Naomi's story becomes our story. We who are suspect to emptiness, we who, if, if that emptiness gets a hold of us, we turn bitter that thread is woven through every single person's life in here. And this story needs to become our story. We need a king. The, the, this story of Ruth is ultimately just a little tiny story in the big story of, of the whole Bible. Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible. Okay, it's not the last word of chapter 22, but it's close to it. One of the last verses in the Bible, Revelation 22:16. Jesus says, I am the root and the descendant of... David. He's the king. and We need the king. We need the one who's going to fill us and protect us from bitterness. This is one of those, Ruth is one of those happy ever after episodes in scripture where all seems lost and then God just kind of rushes in and invades the space with his grace and Naomi can't believe what's happened. This is amazing. So Ruth's courage and and conviction and, and sacrifice are rewarded and this is just, you know, a picture of what the big story is, of Jesus rushing in, invading our space, and his courage and conviction and sacrifice are the way that we get redemption. It brings about this eternally happy ending for us all. We need a redeemer. We need somebody to take away our bitterness. Jesus is that Kinsman redeemer. He died on the cross to take away the bitterness that sin brings to us. Paul talks about this in Galatians, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That in Colossians 1, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Paul in Philippians 2 gives us that picture of Jesus emptying himself, right? in order to raise us up. He satisfies us with his love. He rose from the dead to give us an imperishable hope and future that can't die anymore. That's where we need to place our hope. Um, J.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, he, he coined a word called eucatastrophe. This was a word he invented to talk about a good catastrophe, the kind of painfully happy ending that pierces your soul that brings you to tears because it's so good where you you you'll never be bitter again you'll never be empty again it'll never happen again because of what Jesus has has done for us Um, I guess a good way to think about it is is just gas prices who loves pumping gas these days so um I don't drive my wife's car that often, but two days ago or whatever, we were running errands, and I looked down, and there's that lovely little little light, you know, reminding me it's time to fill up. Uh, and we all love that light, um, but we don't love it when we're late. Like, shoot, uh, I don't have time to get gas. I gotta, I got, I'm already late, and I got to go get gas. Well, now when that little light comes on, it's, it's no longer inconvenient. It's traumatic. Because not only, I'm, I'm, I'm always running late, so the light comes on, I, I'm late I, don't, have, I don't have time to go by the, the bank to get a small loan and to go to the gas station to get, you know, and, and so that's where we're at with, with our gas, with the little yellow light. And the little yellow light comes on in lots of places where we're empty. Where's the light on for you? And where is it going to cost you to fill up? If you're running out of time, if you're almost empty on the days or months or years that you have left, or if you're almost empty with your, your patience for the, the, the people in your life who just keep seeing this relentless attack on you, or if you're running out of love for your spouse or for your kids, if you're on fumes and if you're feeling like you're empty when it comes to your health or when it comes to your money. Live long enough, even if you, know, you feel pretty yellow light comes on for all of us. And the gospel promises us that that little yellow light doesn't mean anything anymore. the little yellow light, is, is, is we can forget about it because the gospel promises us that we will never be empty again if our fullness comes from God instead of from the world. Psalm 16 says, you made known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Paul talks about the love of God in Ephesians uh, chapter three where he's praying that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how, how wide and, and long and high and deep is the love of God for us. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, you know? I mean, that's just remarkable. We can't even conceive of that. All of our lives, it's just it's, it's a habit. We can't get outside of this mindset of scarcity. We can't conceive of an eternity where there won't be any more emptiness. To know a joy that is overflowing constantly, to know love that cannot be measured. That's what's in store for God's people. That's what's in store for you and for me, for everyone who looks to Jesus as our Redeemer, the one who gives us that you catastrophe ending that can never die. It can never be empty again. One more thing. You and I don't have to wait (laughs) to die, to be filled. It's not for after your funeral. It's, it's for today. You and I can be filled now. Yes, we you know, deal with places where we feel lack, but as a good father, he gives us his spirit so that we can start being filled more and more with his love, with his joy, us, with like a clear, cool weekend in June. That's beautiful. It's wonderful. Other times, you know, he's inviting us to grow up a little bit, as a good father should, and get on board with how his kingdom works. Do you want more love? Do you want to be filled with more love? You have to act loving. I know you don't feel it, but acting loving grows love muscle, and that's the way the Holy Spirit typically grows that fruit in us. Do you want more joy? Well you know, maybe do a little inventory. Where am I looking for joy in the wrong places? It's, you know, bad self-life or bad things, and find that joy again in Jesus, going back to, to basic things. You know, I, so again and again, you know, we're told that, that Jesus would say things like, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be placed in your lap. The, the principle is this, the measure you use will be measured back to you. Do you you want to know his fullness? Give it away. Do you want to know his love? Give it away. Do you want to know his joy? Be joyful. You know, these are the ways that the gospel teaches us to work it out. It's not going to be perfect this side of heaven, but we can get in on that fullness now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the promise of fullness. Thank you for being a redeemer who would come to us with a full redemption, an overflowing redemption. Uh, and that you've, you've finished that work completely on the cross. Thank you for rising from the dead to give us uh, an, a fullness that can never be emptied, uh, a hope that can never die. And Lord, as we receive more and more of that reality from you, we do pray uh, that we could pass that on, that we can not only be recipients of your fullness, but agents of it too. But for any uh, anyone here this morning who has not found their rest in you, have not placed their hope entirely in you, but instead maybe you're hoping in things that are perishable. Uh, Lord, would you, would you turn their hearts toward you? And Lord, for just not make them ultimate things. And Lord, to receive from you the fullness of your joy and the fullness of your love so that we can pass it on to others. We pray this in Jesus, our Redeemer's name.